You're listening to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of the Legends of Runeterra. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you. To become a supporter of the show, visit patreon.com slash legendscast. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to Legends Cast, a podcast about the legend of Brunder. My name is Mark or the Lift from outside of Pittsburgh, PA, and with me today, I have my eternally optimistic and catastrophically creative co-host, Gibbles and Bits. Gibbles and Bits, how you doing tonight, man? Good, man. It's been a long time no talk, and I say that sarcastically because it feels like yes, yesterday. Oh, wait, it was that I was up literally in your yesterday. house. I was literally <laughs> in your house yesterday in Pittsburgh. You were... Such a gracious host, DBN and I were so happy to be there, and it was, I had a blast. It was, it was a fantastic time being able to do all things nerd for an entire weekend, like guilt-free, and just, only question that mattered was what board game or what card game are we going to play next? That really, what it, that's what it was, too. We had, uh, so I got back from a vacation in South Carolina, and that same day, uh dbn dbn came in and uh and hung out and then the next afternoon uh gibby came in and we basically spent friday night saturday and sunday morning together which was awesome because you know none of the three of us have ever met one another in person before it was our first time meeting each other which was not for dbn and i but for it it was both of your first time meeting us and us meeting you yeah, yeah, you and DBN, of course, you know, you guys hung out all the time prior to, you know, your most, most recent move, but it was super awesome. We played, uh, me and DBN played some Marvel Champions, and we did a little live stream playing some Heroes of Might and Magic 3, which we have talked about before on the Mulligan, which we don't do anymore, um, and then uh, when Gibby got there, we played some Arcadia Quest the first night, it's a really great board game. So good. And we had some epic games there. Um, we played some Pokemon Unite together, uh, and then the next day we streamed some Pokemon Unite together, uh, and then we played some Zombicide together, and we got sandwiches, and we went to a brewery, did a little meetup, shout out to the Pain and Escher, the Shafe, uh, who all listened to the show, who all came out to the meetup, which was really cool. Uh, my first time meeting Escher or uh, the Pain. Uh, and your first time meeting any of those guys, correct? Yeah, it was it was my first time all together uh, meeting everybody but DBN. So it was it was a fantastic time. Wish we could have had more people out. Um, I know there were several several members of our community who would have loved to have been there and were either intending to come or just couldn't justify the location. So we we vow that we will be doing another meetup in the future, and we you will have another opportunity to come. And we we're hoping that it'll be bigger. Uh, than than this one even was, even though we had such a great time. Uh, we just want to give yeah. everybody an opportunity to to get together and not only have this awesome online community, but to get together in person. I mean, I I can't say that I saw like there was so much value in being able to like connect with people in person that you've been talking to for like years. It feels like yeah, online and 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 having the same like shared goal. It's funny. We we all got together and we did the exact same thing that we would have done online, which is we all just booted up room terrace and started playing matches against each other across the table and just and but like elbowing each other and like jeering each other. I mean, I bet and I said anybody could play me a best of three match if they wanted to, and if they won, then I would buy them a drink. And the, and Shafe took me on 
Uh, and he won fair and square. He got himself a free drink out of me. I mean, fair and square with a little bit of coaching from DBN, as we were jokingly. We were, we were making some jokes about. As he he uh, he denies that there was ever any coaching, but yeah, he's, th- he I, says no coaching took took place. <laughs> well, the uh, the the Yeti's deck that he queued up and absolutely just obliterated me with was was hilarious. No coaching required there. Just draw your five your five five eight cost Yetis that summon themselves to the board and win the game. You you don't even have to do anything. Uh, just just that easy. Uh, yeah, we had a great time. We played some rounds of Runeterra, had a couple of brews, uh, played a little bit of cornhole together as well. Mm-hmm. And Gibby is a nasty cornhole player. So undefeated uh, on the evening. Yeah, I don't know who ended up being like the overall Runeterra champion of the table because the Shafe beat you. I beat the Shafe. I sort of beat DBN, but also surrendered to him because I, I really won because he didn't know how the game worked anymore because it had been so long <laughs> since he had it booted up. Uh, I so, think Payne and Escher played, I think, and I don't yes. know who won between them. Yeah. Oh, shout out to Bougie, too. I don't think Bougie listens to the show, but Bougie did come out and hung out with us. He, he had not played in a long time, but he's part of Lux. Uh, he and Greg came out because and they're Greg. both part of Lux. Yeah, we had Greg there. He doesn't listen to the show either, but it was still really good to have have those guys out there. And and we really did. We had a great time at the meetup. It was fun playing some LOR. Um, and leading up to the week, I had played a lot of LOR, actually. Um, because so here's what happened. I had I uh, I played right when World Worker came out, and I was like, I really want to play Alawi, and you know, we could talk about this, but Alawi's not good, great right now, anyway. Um, a little slow. So um, the event pass came out and I actually forgot about it. Like I totally, I usually play during event passes more, but I completely forgot about the event pass because at the same time, the new TFT set launched on the same day. Oh, And there was a big expansion for Elder Scrolls Online, which is the game that I'm streaming right now. And so I was just so invested in those two that I completely forgot about the, the battle pass. So I jumped on. Uh, and I don't remember what I was getting on for. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have 13 days left. I have like 10 out of 600 tokens that I need. And I sort of set myself for a challenge. Like, can I actually grind these things out? And so I played a ton. And you know what I played was a lot of Path of Champions. Wow. And yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know that you could get, I guess it makes sense. I didn't think that you could get the, the, the World Walker Battle Pass done through Path of Champions, but that's probably also because I just don't play Path of Champions, really. I always just kind of queue up PvP. So that, that yeah. Makes so sense. I mean, in in the in the repeatable quests, I think it's like every six games that you win, you can get six tokens, but you get double if they're PvP games. But they're PvP games, so every six, you know, ones in the in the Path of Champions that you do, you will get six, you know, six tokens. On top of that, you can complete all of like the various, you know, like the the Alawi quest line and the Jin quest line and the Annie quest line that they sort of give you and you you get their kind of like cool icon if you finish, you know, the three to five quests that are in their quest line. And so I did all of those um, all through Path of Champions. Had a really great time with it, honestly. Um, and uh, more fun than I expected. It was fun because it was so casual, I think. Sure. Like, I was I was trying to win like a PvP game a day, but all of my decks were so freaking outdated. I ended up running <laughs> uh, the Shafe's deck because he had the um, he had he had a half decent deck that was like Udir and Swain that I I ran to try to win a few games, and 
my decks were so bad and so outdated that it would take me like nine tries to get a win in PvP most of the time. And I, you know, I don't ever see a point in not playing ranked. So I, I was not that you see any different quality of deck outside of ranked because you really don't in this game. You never know. Um, yeah, sometimes. I don't know. I ran into some meme stuff. I'm low enough in the ladder that I ran into some meme stuff. But I played Path of Champions, and I have a few comments about it that I want to make. But I also wanted to be like, hey, for you, like, what did you do? Uh, have you been playing LOR the past couple of weeks or, or just been too busy? And then I'll, I'll share some, like, thoughts on my overall feeling for Path of Champions. Yeah, I feel like I feel like Path of Champions is worth a... Uh, uh a decent discussion. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of go into what I've been doing. So I have been playing, as I said, uh, a decent amount of uh, PvP. Uh, I did do a little bit of mix. Like, I, I hadn't played PvP, really, or at least ranked. I built mm -hmm. a bunch of decks when World Walker came out and then got, as I still am, was was pretty focused on Unite because we had some tournaments kind of coming up and then yep. all doing a whole lot of travel. Really didn't get a chance to do really sit down and like tune decks and focus much on like ranks. So like I would take some very untuned decks either into rank or, or whatever it might be, or just play casual. Um, but I sat down, I started ranking a little bit. So I was all the way down in iron just cause I hadn't really focused on it. And I'm up in like the bottom of gold now after um, trying a bunch of different decks. Like I'm, I'm not someone that cares about his rank. I would rather play decks that are fun and decks that I think have an interesting like play line. So um, one of my favorite decks right now that I've been playing, and I'll probably post it in Discord this evening um, just okay. because it's it's really fun. I call it Body Swap. And it's body a- Body Swap. Body Swap. <laughs> and okay. it's, it's a Lucian, uh, it's a Lucian and Callista deck. And I'm going to post it because I'm actually really excited to see, we'll talk also about this later, for patch 3.1, they're buffing Callista. Finally, yeah, my yeah, yeah, my yeah. probably my second favorite champion behind Swain. They're buffing oh, sure. Callisto. What were they gonna do? I don't know. But it, if it's a decent buff, this could be a, a pretty pretty cool deck. It's got one of the most oppressive early games if you hit this path. So I am running Fleet Feather Tracker for one. The uh, the 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 two one bird that if you play another unit on top of it later. It gets yep. challenger, but like so, yep, I, you, sure. you can play Fleet Feather Tracker on one, whether it's there or not. Um, at, on turn two, it, you find uh, Lucian. Turn three, you find Senna, and on turn four, you play the Chronicler of Ruin that kills one of your units and resummon it. So you kill Senna, it levels Lucian, and then you get Senna back again. Oh, and then you can go bananas. Every time somebody dies from that, ham with it. every time somebody dies from that point, you're rallying, and you have mm -hmm. a five, you have a five three unit with double attack, and if they have to focus on killing Lucian, well, guess what? Now Senna gets double attack. They can't. Yep. They, there's there's no way out unless you kill both of them, and there's a bunch of resummon tools. <clears throat> You've always really liked uh, the Lucian, the Lucian like kit. Like, I do. I think it's really you interesting. Played a good bit of Lucian. I think it's a strong early game. I really do. If you can find the right cards with it, and killing four units isn't really that hard to do. It's just protecting Lucian. So I am running some protection tools in there as well. But sure, um, it's. I think at this point right now, a lot of the burn decks really need to focus on using their early game in order to get out ahead of you on board and really punch in some early damage, which when you have quick attack units, they can't afford for you to get ahead. 
So they end up having to block some of your stuff. And a lot of the like the removal tools aren't till turn three, turn four. So typically you can get off that combo if you happen to see those units and you can mulligan for them. And even if you find other pieces like Callista or like the Undying or something like that, the deck still runs. So it's mm-hmm. it's a really fun deck. It's probably my favorite deck that I'm playing right now along that with my Dragons deck, but it's been PvP. I've been enjoying it and just casually just trying trying to take it into some games and seeing if I can if I can get a little higher. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that's 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 super exciting, man. And I'm I'm glad that you found a deck that you're enjoying. I I think that um, I I do I feel like I I feel like Lucian is a card that I've really never messed around with much. That I I probably should at some point like. Because I, I feel like I messed around with him like at first, like when he first came out, I played Lucian, and then I have not played Lucian pretty much since then, um, for no real reason other than you know when new stuff comes out that like you know it's interesting, and there's never been like, I don't think there's ever been like a real tried and true like really powerful Lucian deck yet. Um, there was that's a long been, like, time super ago. Meta. There was a, there was a while ago nothing that was ever like the top deck, but there was one that yeah. was up in like S or A tier when they they've only buffed Lucian once, and it was maybe like a year ago. And at that time, I think it maybe it's been power crept a little bit, but like the um, the early kind of play path with some of the the rather cheap Shadow Wiles cards like the Ravenous sure. Butcher, Cursed Keeper, um, even Arachnoid um the the one one that when it dies it summons mm-hmm. another one one like those early game cards and some of that early game aggression in shadow wiles if you hit that path really well used to be really oppressive and that help was really good for lucian in in comparison to that because you were killing stuff but also yeah, gaining value slower now than what it it's used a little to be. slower than it's a, i just think that there are other things that can keep i don't think up it's actually it. much slower well you know what it is slower right because they've nerfed butcher they've nerfed uh, the thing that comes off of Cursed Keeper. And so there has been a few nerfs that have come about that I'm sure is is a good portion of why that is. But yeah. well, let me talk a little bit about Path of Champions and what my experience has yeah, been because I know you haven't played it a lot. So I, I found it really interesting because the minigame aspect of, of POC, I have it pulled up right now, has been alarmingly, like it's been, it's just been a lot of fun. Like I've had a lot of fun with, um, like leveling my champion. So before it was just like you would you would p- kind of play through the same scenario, right? And I think you beat like Gangplank at the end of it or something. Or and there was like you know random guys that might come up sort of in the middle of it. Um, and that is not the case anymore, right? Like it it plays significantly different than that now, where you kind of choose a champion and they have a few sort of like uh battle lines, you know, where you're gonna like fight Garen at the end or you're gonna fight Gangplank at the end or whatever. They have a few, and there's like always like a midpoint champion. They have a few that are unique to them, and the rest of them are not unique to them, right? The rest of them are, you know, ones that everybody can run. And then I think what's even more interesting is you kind of get these, they're like, they're like dust, right? And you invest those dust in the champions to unlock new champions. You only start with a couple that you can get, and then, you know, and then you get more dust to get stars in them. And so you can max them out at three stars and each star kind of gives them this passive power, right? The first one um, that you can get is always like Yasuo stuns uh, the the toughest enemy, uh, like the strongest enemy when you have the attack token. 
Um, but level two uh, always gives you something new and sort of like the mana surge ability, right? So it also gives you an extra starting mana. So you always start at two. And that's where sort of like your characters really come online. And then the third, um, I don't know. I don't know what they all are, but Yasuo is like improves his first, right? So now he stuns when you have the attack token and at the beginning of the opponent's round. So really no matter what, you're, you're stunning the strongest enemy. And the, the trick is, is that you play through these adventures and then as you play through the adventures, it completes quests that are selective to Path of Champions. That gives you dust to unlock new champions. You use those champions to unlock dust to star up and level up your characters. You get your characters leveled up with their stars and then you can take on, you know, progressively more difficult challenges that unlock as you beat the previous challenges. And so, you know, like you can't do two-star stuff until you've beaten enough one-star stuff with a wide enough variety of champions. You can't just like level up Yasuo or Jinx and just blow through everything. Like you you have to beat this. In my case, I'm stuck. Like I have to beat a, a two-star champion three times, I think. And I need, like I can beat them with Jinx and Yasuo, but I don't have anybody else yet that I've either been skilled with or are powerful enough to actually defeat that champion, the two-star champion. I need to do it with a third one. And so I'm going to I'm gonna beat it with a third one, and then it will unlock sort of like a bunch of two-point, you know, ones or whatever, 2.5-star 2. guys. And sure. I can beat the 2.5-star guys, and then it'll unlock three-star guys, and then like the 3.5-star guys. So yeah, heard, a couple heard, of thoughts, like, go ahead. I heard several of our guys this weekend at our meetup talk about because I I know there are several between Escher, Shafe, Payne, uh, they all play Path of Champions a lot too, and it was interesting to hear them talk about also having kind of these block moments or these getting to these cruxes where they just can't get to the next level where they need to beat a certain level of champion or a certain like a like a certain path of like a two star, one star, three star, whatever it might be. And it's it's just they're getting stuck and they just can't get there. Um yeah. they're trying over and over again and they're and they're hitting a wall. And I think that's an interesting premise that you can find resistance, so much resistance at certain points in the game like that. Like do you think that's what was what was designed or is it just kind of happening that way? I don't know. It's interesting because so I've only started playing and you sort of have like a daily quest and a weekly quest each week to sort of do stuff. And I, I need to do a little bit more of it and it will, you know, sort of level up your legend level, which gives you access to new stuff. That's like your character level that goes beyond your, your account level that goes beyond your characters. But something that I found interesting is like the, the shards that you get to star up your champions are completely random. They don't give them to you set. So, you know, you could just get a ton for one guy or never get the ones that you need for a guy that you don't have unlocked yet. And that would be a problem like that would not be a good thing and so for me i have gotten a ton of yasuo stuff like a ton of yasuo shards i have three starred my yasuo but now like one of the quests that i have to complete will give me 20 yasuo shards so i have a three-starred yasuo and i have no intention of completing this quest which i will eventually but completing this quest gives me 20 shards for a champion that I've already three-starred. So they're completely useless for me. Whereas these 20 shards could give me a two-star of somebody else or unlock somebody new for me. So I think it's kind of stupid that they dedicated the shards to specific heroes. Uh, like, I feel like as you're completing stuff, you should just get shards. And mm -hmm. you can use those shards to unlock new champions 
or level up ones that you've unlocked, but it should be your choice. I don't understand why the game is gated, like this mode is gated behind something that's entirely random, you have no control over, and they've given you no way to pay to get past it. Like it would make sense to me if it was like, hey, like you you need to collect these shards and it's completely random, but you can pay $5 or $2 and you can unlock one of these champions or you can star up one of your champions that way you could progress. Then it's like, okay, well, I could grind the dailies until I get it at random, or I could just progress by purchasing a little bit and you know unlocking something for myself. But Which, you can't to be clear, do that. probably I'm wouldn't feel trapped. good still. That, that, I it mean, would, that still wouldn't feel good, like having like a paywall behind it. People would still question that, but at least at least you could like track the logic. Sure, but I'm I'm literally trapped. Like I'm 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 in the game right now. I cannot beat. So right now, if I look at the champions that I've unlocked, I have three star Yasuo, two star Jinx. I have a one star Alawi Lux and Misfortune, and a zero star Jin. I have not yet unlocked Annie, Bard, Vi, Lee Sin, Garen, or Darius. I've literally never seen a single shard drop for Darius. So I have a bunch of champions that I haven't unlocked. I'm only close to unlocking Bard and Annie right now. The stuff that I have that's one star, I am, you know, three quarters of the way off from getting to two stars. And I cannot beat another one of these two star champions without getting my guys to two-star right now. I, I'm just hitting a wall with them. Sure. And therefore, I literally cannot advance the mode. I'm just stuck. And so the last three or four days, I'll be honest, I've just lost interest because I'm like, well, the only thing that I have to do at this point is come back and do content I've already done with characters I've already done it with. Yeah. That's not you, even I mean, remotely interesting. I mean, you want to you want to be able to, to see the full game mode and get all the champions out, like, like unlocked and see what kind of cool powers and decks you can make with all the the creativity that path of champions brings it's just unfortunate that you can't you can't get to that point no it's like you know i want to get i want to use misfortune but i I can't face yasuo with misfortune until i get her to two stars and there's there's no guarantee that i'm going to get her to two star anytime soon so i will say this path of champions fun yes enjoyable absolutely casual super casual it was a Good way for me to play LOR. I never got frustrated with it, really, other than I got to the point where it was like clearly where I hit this wall, and I'm just like, yeah, the only way I get off this wall is get on and play for 20 minutes a day on like the most basic of mission just to like I have to go on and do a half star mission with like a three star guy every day just to get a random five shards in hopes that those five shards won't be given for a character that I already have. And or that it will be given for one that I'm close to two starring like I don't get it like I don't I don't get how they looked at the economy like they've gotten the economy of LOR so right for a free to play card game. I don't know how they got the, the the economy of Path of Champions so wrong. It just doesn't make any sense to me. So I think that's been my biggest challenge with it is like I you shouldn't be trapped. And if I am trapped. At least give me a pay way to get around it. I, I have no way to get around it. It just means I'm never going to play it. Like, I'm just done with it at this point because I'm not getting on to just do stupid crap I've already done just for a random chance to maybe unlock stuff in five days. Like, eh, no, I'm not doing that. Hey, and hey, maybe no, who, maybe who knows? Maybe if patch 3.1, they'll have something in it. Yeah, yeah. I, I could see them totally like going back and being like, hey, once you three star a champion, like all the shards that you get for them now become neutral and can be applied to anybody 
which I don't think is a case um, right now. And then I could be like, okay, yeah, like I, I could play a little bit more because now I have a reason to get those 20 Oswa shards because those 20 Oswa shards will unlock, you know, neutral gems that I can spend to star up one of my other characters that now I can advance the story. Um, I think it's actually well done. Like it is, it, it genuinely is really fun to play. It really, really is. Um, and I, I've, I've enjoyed it. But that brings up another card game that I wanted to talk about briefly. Is it okay if I talk about that now, Gibby? Real quick. <gasps> another card game on Legends Cast? Yeah. Game. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so Elder Scrolls Online, the MMO that I play, released an in-game card game. So if you're familiar with like The Witcher, Gwent originated in The Witcher. And then um, and then after that, uh, you know, the Gwent became its own game. Well, ESO has put out like its own in-game card game doesn't play like Gwent, I don't think, but it's similar in concept, right? Where you can go and play games against other players and against NPCs in order to collect more cards and build your deck. And it's this really interesting game because it's it's actually, it's legitimately not like a card game like you would classically think. Like, I have a deck, you have a deck, we play our cards. It's a deck-building economy game. So you each get, like, factions to choose from. There's, like, eight factions in the game each of you choose two and then they shuffle all four of them together into a into a combined deck hmm. so all of his cards all of my cards go together all their cards my cards and then it flips out like four cards and you play your cards out of your hand and those cards that you play sort of out of your hand will give you gold or power that you'll use to purchase some of the cards from the shop in the center and your whole goal is to get to 40 prestige, which you get to by playing cards that give you prestige, comboing cards that give you prestige, or by generating power that you do not have to use against their minions. So like you generate power and you can use that power to knock out their minions. So they're not getting like, they're things that stay on the board and basically give you resources every single round. And sure. you can use your power to knock them out. But if you don't do that, you can use your power to gain like points towards like progressing your win strategy, getting to 40 uh, things. And then there's these four patrons on the side of the board that are based off the four factions that got chosen. And they all have different ways that you have to turn their dial. And if you can get all four dials pointed towards you, you automatically win. So if you pay tribute to all four of these faction leaders, um, you can turn them all towards you. And they have three turns, right? They have, uh, they're an enemy to you and an ally to your partner. They are neutral or they are uh, an ally to you and an enemy to your partner. And so you, you have to try to get them all to be allies towards you. If you can do that, all four of them at the same time, you can win the game that way as well. It's it a really, really cool. interesting. Yeah, it's a really interesting deck building card game. Um, what I liked about it is it's not really like I played Tessel, right? And I was afraid that this was just going to be Tessel in a game. Like, don't try to revitalize a game that I loved in another game that I played. That would really make me mad. This is completely different. This is more in the vein of like Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle. This is more in the vein of like um, Clank. This is more in the vein of like, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of like, there's a lot of like deck building. Um, even like uh, Slay the Spire. It actually plays a lot like Slay the Spire. Hmm. So Slay the Spire is a deck building game where you have 10 cards that you start with and each round you add cards to your deck. Um, this is very similar. You have to start with 10 cards. You use those cards to buy other cards that get put into your deck and your deck gets shuffled. You get those cards out that you purchased and you try to defeat your opponent before they defeat you. So 
Fun little game. I, I actually, I was really against it. Played it today on stream. Really enjoyed it. Have kind of been jonesing to get back to it, if I'm being honest. Like, I really want to get back and play it again. Yeah, I'll have to try that too. That sounds really, really cool. Um, I like when they're, when games have alternate ways to win. I think that opens up a lot of creativity and a lot of focus, like different focuses that keep the game really refreshing. So I I haven't played a, a deck building game where you and your your opponent's decisions are mashed up together and then you have to essentially separate out a win con from that. That sounds very involved and like a high skill cap, um, but very fun. It's interesting because they basically said they didn't want it to be a pay-to-win game. Like, they wanted everyone to be on a level playing field. So you can unlock new cards and customize your deck, but you're not going to be the only one who has access to those cards. Your opponent is also going to be able to purchase your cards that you put in your deck and use them against you. And, you know, some people aren't going to like that, but if you just look at it as more of like, a, more of like a vanilla like deck builder game where you kind of have a little bit of input as to what goes in the deck that you're you know buying cards from then it feels better i think that a lot of people who play card games like lor won't enjoy it because they're like this doesn't even make any sense why don't i have my cards i want to build my deck and it's not like that it is it is more like a tabletop game where you're going to be you know playing a, a normal deck builder game and if you like deck builder games you probably don't want to buy eso just for it because that's probably pointless but if you play eso and you like deck builder games or you own eso you like deck builder games i think it's worth checking out well next time you stream it because i'm sure that will will happen i know you you stream eso i'll have to check it out yeah come by come by for sure you want to take us on to what we're going to next though man yeah so let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the the world walker expansion i just want to just talk a little bit last time it's been a little bit since you and i had an, an episode for legends cast but the last time we talked we were either about to drop world walker and we were giving our predictions where they just had i think it was they had just we were about to drop it and we had yeah. all the previews of the cards and we kind of gave our predictions between alawi bard annie Jin, what we thought what we thought about the overall expansion itself and now that we've had a little bit of time under our belt and we're getting a patch tomorrow. We, we can lead into that. Um, I just wanted to get your thoughts about how you think the patch has been and maybe where we were right, where we were wrong from a high level about some of the new champions or, or, or some new impactful cards. Uh, so, so what have you thought about the expansion? And we can even kind of wrap in a little bit uh, about some of the Pulse Fire stuff too with the cosmetics. I mean, sure. since they kind of released it all at the same time. Um, so what have you what have you thought about the World Walker expansion? I, I would prefer to hear from you first. I'd like to know I'd like to know your initial thoughts uh, on it because sure. I think you've played more like my experience is limited from PvP, more PvE because I've played Alawi in it and uh and Jin in in PvE and I haven't played too too much of them so I, I i'd rather hear what what your initial thoughts are if you thought you were right or wrong I, I i definitely have some opinions but sure so my opinion so when we ranked we ranked the four new champions last time and we thought bard was going to be the strongest and then alawi was going to be next and then mm -hmm. i think Jin, and then annie and you yeah, know we put way, annie at the bottom yeah and in a way I don't necessarily think we were far off. 
Now, Alawi, I think, definitely fell a little bit flat on expectations just because she seems to be a bit too slow. Some of her cards are are relatively good. Um, she's got an interesting package, but it almost feels like you have to play her entire package or at least 90% of it if you're going to make mm-hmm. a true Alawi deck. And I even definitely... then, it kind of feels like there's not enough of it, to be honest yeah, with you. Right, and they could, they could use a couple more tentacle-based cards, and I think I even misunderstood in a way, the way the tentacles were going to work until, mm. just because it's a relatively, I don't know, unique mechanic, until I got into the game and I started, I was like, oh, I totally said some stuff on the episode that probably doesn't make any sense because I didn't understand the way that Alawi <laughs> exactly was meant to be played. Did, yeah. um, I I think I also underestimated Annie a little bit. Annie Jin started out as a very, very popular, aggressive deck, and I still do see it played every now and then, but I think people are getting used to it. Um mm which is happens quite often with whatever the most popular deck, unless it's something that is purely broken, as long as it's not a overpowered deck, whatever ends up being the most popular deck out of the gate usually involves new champions or some key new cards, usually ends up kind of falling off in the meta or finding its place within the meta once people kind of adjust to it and know how to play around it. Uh, Annie Jin is a good aggressive deck, and I think part of why I say we weren't too far off is I don't think Annie herself alone is that powerful? Like she's a good mm. early game tool that maybe gets you two or three damage in on 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 turn one. She's very hard to stop on turn one if the if your opponent has the if or if you've got the oh yeah attack token and you find Annie on one, you're gonna punch two damage through. I don't really know that there's that there's anything or much that stops her early on turn one, but she's relatively killable on turn two, turn three, later on in the game from any sort of AOE spell. But I think by that point, she's really not your focus, so it's okay if she dies. And I think that's the part maybe I, I underestimated is by turn three or turn four, if you level Annie, cool. She's becomes mm-hmm. relatively good with the three damage and the stun, but I don't think you really care about no. about her later in the game if she dies. Like your goal, your goal, your game plan is never centered around a leveling up Annie. If anything, it's probably around the Raven Bloom Conservatory and Tybalk and punching through a bunch of extra damage, which yeah, is I a honestly good. think I I legitimately feel like Annie is good, not because of Annie, it's because of the fact that you get a tick on Conservatory on turn one. Yeah, <laughs> like I think that in it, it's hard to deal with hard enough that you often will get two ticks on Conservatory because of Annie, right? Like. Just an easy way to start ramping up your conservatory. Which, and I, and I love that card. I think it's a really balanced, really good card. Jin himself, to me, um, played with Annie. If you find Annie on one and you've got Jin in hand, you're, you're in a good spot. Like, you are probably going to start pumping in some damage and pumping in the ticks from Jin passively in your hand. And, um, y- you have a good, a good opener and a good, good chance at winning that game but it's probably above 50 percent at that point regardless of whatever your opponent is playing but alone i've seen Jin played in some other decks and he just feels meh he feels like yeah he's, he's never he's never impactful um enough even when you play him he's he does okay i think he's won me he's won a uh, won a game for my opponent one time where i'm like if he didn't have Jin, he doesn't win that game but I th- there have been very few games that i've been able to say that yeah, I, I honestly saw I saw BBG play right in the beginning of the season because he got challenged by somebody from his chat to see if he would be able to hit 
rank one and they would give him like 500 subs or something like that. And, uh, and he did it. They didn't give him the subs, but he did hit rank one uh, masters um, within, I don't know, a handful of days. It was like the first week or whatever. And I remember him playing against Jin and he's like, you know, I think the proper play against Jin is to ignore it. Yeah. Like, I, I, mean, I think actually the best thing that you can do against Jin is not care that there's a Jin. Well, and half the time he's in probably more than half the time, he's in your opponent's hand and they're not they don't they don't plan on playing him because he's not worth the four mana for his body and what he brings to the to the table on an attack. He's not worth the the value. You're better off playing something else and getting a little bit of extra value with him from his passive anyway. So he just sits in their hand. There's really not much you can do about him anyway. Unless you have hand destruction, which as a four four mana four four, I think is what is his stat line. He's probably not going to be the highest nor the like the weakest card in their hand. So there's not a lot that targets him. It's just hard. Sure, it's hard to get him. It's hard to to do anything about him. But then again, as you mentioned, it's probably not worth doing anything about him. So, so Jin just seems man. Um, though, but but we were right about Bard, man. Bard yeah. is awesome. I think Bard, so my my initial reaction about the champions is like Jin is worse than Annie. I'd agree. It it, it it's like Jin is the worst, then it's Alawi. Yes, I agree. Then I agree I agree with your assessment that Annie is good because of other reasons. Not because Annie's good. And I think that Annie is best not with Jin, Annie's best with Ezreal. And I think that's the deck that BBG yeah. was challenged to get to rank one with was Annie Ezreal. That that's what he used. Yeah, he used Annie Ezreal, and he absolutely destroyed everything. Like it, it, it was, it was, it was just, it was, it was so strong. It was just a really, really strong deck. So you know, I think that, like, I think that really Annie. That's why Annie's good. That's like where Annie's best at is with Ezreal, and she's not really good because she's Annie. She's good because. Ezreal is good with her and any champion that's good. It's like Karma's not great either until Karma's paired with Ezreal and then Karma's real good. Um, and I kind of feel like Annie sort of falls into the same thing. And then the top of the heap is is a mix up between between I, I haven't seen Bard played a lot. I have played Bard. Really? I've been underwhelmed. I've been underwhelmed by Bard, but that's oh, because I probably played him in a terrible deck. Well, so, I, I can tell you that I've seen quite a bit of bard played i've played him some and i've also played against him quite a lot and his okay. early game some of his early game package with the chimes is very strong and granted there okay. is some randomization based on it putting the chimes in your deck and when you pull them except for for bird at the beginning you play that you play the two one bird and it says um mm -hmm. it says i'm going to put chimes on the chimes on the top of your deck yeah, there's one other guy too, right? Or is it it's a I don't know. There's a guy who looks like he's made out of a pot or something that puts a chime on top of your deck as well. Yeah, that's 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 bird. B Y. Oh, bird. Oh, oh, oh. His name is bird. He's not a bird. I no, was thinking no, 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 there's bird. like a light. There's like a little guy who's made out of Esmus. light. It's elusive, right? Yeah, okay. Esmus. He he's also... the two drop. Those two in combination one two sets you up for a really good a really good game because they, they both put chimes towards the top of your deck and then okay. and you get off to a solid start, but there's also the chance that you hit more chimes that bard in your deck is putting in your deck automatically every single turn. So yeah. you can even pull those, even if you don't hit your one drop or your two drop um, poppy, poppy bard 
is a really yeah, popular deck. deck. I've been smacked been really by that several recently. times. I've also seen yeah. Bard and Galio. I mean, he seems to we we were right, and and I think a lot of people's predictions were right that Bard synergizes very well with um, with Demacia, just because they like stats and they want stats. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't seen too much Bard Garen, which I thought I was going to see, but uh, see, that's I think, what I was checking out was Bard Garen mostly. Yeah, and I and I, I don't maybe it's just the the change to Gal to, to Garen hasn't been as impactful as we were maybe hoping it would be. I just, I haven't seen a lot of Garen played really. I've just seen Bard mm-hmm. played with other things. And maybe it's not a comment on Garen. It's just a comment on other things are, are better with, with sure. that kind of that archetype. I've also seen some, um, some Bard Udir. Bard summons very, or goes very well with uh, Frail Yord, especially if you can start putting regen on things through um, some of, uh, some of Bard or some of Udir's tricks. And I've also seen uh, a Bard Viego deck, which is which is oh, kind of fun. Um, Bard yeah, Viego. there's so Maduli is a card in it's, it's like a five drop that doubles all the chimes in your deck when he's summoned. So mm-hmm. there's some recall tools that you I've seen Snoopy put together a deck. He calls it I think it's his his uh his Maduli printer. So he had a Viego okay. printer. He's got, and he runs it with Viego too. But he had a, he had a Viego printer deck where you could essentially like create like a with Splinter Soul create like a one one ephemeral version of Viego and then kill it with a resummon off of um off of Chronicler of Ruin the four drop and it would give okay. you like a fresh like non ephemeral Viego or you can miss call to recall Viegos. Well now you can do the same thing with Meduli and continue to double all the chimes in your deck till you have like over a thousand in your deck. And you're pulling like 30 a turn, giving everything like 30 plus stats on your board, and it can get kind of crazy. But there's a there's Bard is so flexible, and his package doesn't require a whole lot of cards for it to be to be impactful. So you can put him in a lot of different things. Yeah, I, I feel like I tried to play Bard in basically the wrong stuff. Like I think that was realistically what my problem was. Like I just tried to play him in like a like an elites deck, which did not enable me to play like his one and two drop that get the chimes going early. So it just takes too long for the chimes to get rolling. I think if I had, I think if I had played it differently, it would have gone better for me. You know. Yeah, I was wrong about Esmus Breath of the World that two that elusive two drop. I thought that thing was going to be meh, and and it's almost like a staple in any bard deck. Like it's it's really yeah. hard to deal with if if you if you don't have early game removal or elusive. Um, I tried playing bard with uh, with Alawi, and that didn't necessarily work as well. I did try a a sort of a Ionia deck, and I have seen a couple bard Ionia decks as well, but I think they went in a different direction than I did. So mm-hmm. I mean, all of the elusive that bard gets. Yeah, that, that that was a deck that was going around at least in the first handful of days, right? It's like, let's just buff up our elusives using Bard and then, which I thought was going to be kind of the cancer, right? Like Bard elusives. But I, it seems as though it's found a better home in Demacia because Demacia can buff and so often does, you know, buff its own board um, that that made, uh, you know, it just levels Bard a lot faster, right? There's so often mm-hmm. that you, you already have Bard leveled because Demacia buffs its own units throughout the game. So you have, a lot of synergy between those two things in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I mean, we, and there was, there's been a lot of outside of the champions. Cause I don't want to make this, this whole expansion just about the champions, mm-hmm. but there've also been some very good supporting cards and so many good to the, or a couple good to the fact that two of them in particular within the same region are, are, are getting nerfed as a part of this upcoming patch. 
that being mm. disintegrate the two mana um spell that you mark a unit essentially with disintegrate and the next time it takes damage yep. it dies i yep, was really hyped about bonkers. that card. i was really hyped about that card for removal and it's funny because it's as as the as the expansion came out i was struggling to find it in decks where i found it useful but it was just a matter of time and it had just had to be the right deck which is mm. makes total sense i've seen it in a lot of decks oh yeah it, that ezreal anti deck runs it and it is bonkers yeah because there's a lot of removal in a, in a deck like that well, I think more than that, it's like the problem that Ezreal often has is that it can't get rid of chunky boys, right? There's some chunky mm. things that it just has a, a hard time dealing with. And when you're like, oh, you have a hard time dealing with chunky stuff? Well, how about we give you a thing that takes all of your one-mana pings and turns it into a vengeance? Turns them into assassinates. Yeah, like they're just yeah. absolutely crazy. That's funny. That assassinate that assassinate uh, reference there was certainly the five-mana... Uh, uh, rogue card, uh, Hearthstone card, <laughs> yeah, Rogue Hearthstone card. Yep, yeah, yeah. To me, assassinate is a way, is maybe a way of life or just or a, a mantra. Then it is an sure. actual card in Hearthstone. It is an actual card in Hearthstone as well. Yeah, it is. But and I and it's funny because I hated playing Rogue in Hearthstone. I was I was definitely <laughs> not a Rogue player. I despised the Crystal Cave that that quest that came out in Rogue. I, oh, I, loved it. It was horrible. Back to back to back to our own game. Yeah, about and what I'm talking about. Yeah. And the, the most powerful card I think in this set, if you ask me, is the Legion Deserter. The, uh, which seems almost accidental, doesn't it? I don't know. That's the thing is I really don't know if they maybe thought that it was just going to be too slow to be with Viego. The fact that it's got built-in overwhelm to it is the problem. And I suspect we can kind of bleed this conversation into talking about the patch. So Legion Deserter is one of two, four, six, eight, nine cards that are getting nerfed. Three, six, yeah. nine, 12, 15, 18, 21, 24, 26, 20. Then there are 28 cards getting buffed as a part of this yeah. patch 3.1. Runeterra released a graphic with just the uh, the little eye, basically an icon of each of the different cards that are going to be buffed or nerfed. Uh, and the name of the car, but they didn't tell you what. And we're we're bringing this episode to you on Monday, the twenty seventh. The patch drops yeah. on the twenty eighth. Could we have waited till the patch? Maybe. Did we want to talk about the patch beforehand? Also, yes. Yeah, double yes, double yes. So there are a lot of cards that are going to get buffed and nerfed. The Legion Deserter, as we were talking about, is one of them that is going to be getting nerfed. It is a five cost unit that every single time, or uh, it gains all allied everywhere buffs mm -hmm. that you play in a game so you can buff your legion marauders that get plus one plus one every single time they attack yeah. all legion marauders everywhere gain plus one plus one um you can play which it which makes more sense that he synergizes with that right oh like yeah 100 because they both have the name legion they look similar it's very clear that they were intended to synergize in that way I think what the unintended synergy is is what you, you know. I'm sure what you're going to talk about next. Yeah, it's Viego, and I, and granted, I don't think like I I have a hard time believing that the, the the producers just like or the developers just missed the the fact that that every time you play an encroaching shadow that it gets a plus one plus one to itself or to all encroaching mm -hmm. shadows and to Viego. I have a hard time believing that they just missed that logic that they just forgot about that. 
So I do think that it was intended as a possible synergy, but maybe they underestimated how strong it was going to be. Maybe they thought it was going to be too slow, but every time the Legion or the Legion deserters in your deck and you play an encroaching, an encroaching mist, it's an encroaching mist, not encroaching shadow, encroaching mist, um, through a Camavorian soldier or Viego or an invasive Hydrovine, whatever it might be, the Legion deserter, Legion, yeah, Legion deserter gets a plus two plus two because it gets one for yeah. the mist, one for Viego, and it's got built-in overwhelm. So if you find a Camavorian soldier on three, maybe play Chronicler of Ruin or maybe another Camavorian soldier or something like that, uh, or Viego, by turn six you could very easily drop like a a 9-10 or, or, or something like that, somewhere oh, between enormous. 8 to 10 attack without really having to try. I played against you. Yeah, I think I played against you, and I was like, and you dropped one, and I was like, oh, like when I saw that it was coming down, I was like, this thing is, this thing is going to be like a, I don't know, like, what like is a five, this? Got six a plus, or something like that. Yeah, like a 5-6. Like and it was like a 9-11 like or something. It was huge. It was absolutely enormous. I was like, how? How did this thing get so big so fast? Like, and the problem was, is, is that it has yeah. built-in overwhelm. So in in Noxus, it is it is the exact card that Noxus wants to see. Is a card that I don't have to worry about. That is so big that it forces you to have to deal with it in a really awkward and committed way. Where I can still play a bunch of other good units that are aggressive or high stat. It's just a, it's just a very oppressive card if it gets mm-hmm. if it gets going. It is the kind of thing that I like. Like I actually like these in card oh, games. Me too. It, it harkens back and reminds me of of Tessel and of other card games that I've played where it's like, well, yeah, but I'm gonna I'm gonna get to this thing and I'm gonna I'm gonna put this big chunky boy on the board and and it's gonna be really hard to deal with and there's gonna be a swing in the board because of this big guy that's gonna come down and you have to prepare because if you're not prepared to deal with this guy, you know, and you know, there isn't enough oppression in the early game in the Viego deck. That when you get to this, you're like, shoot, I've already used all of my removal. Um, because there's not a lot of huge threats in Viego prior to this or Viego coming down, realistically. Um Right. And that's and, yeah. I, and depending on what they do with Disintegrate, I mean, Disintegrate's one of the best tools against Legion Deserter. So depending on what they do with or like Hush, depending on what they do with the Deserter, um, or or Disintegrate, if they don't buff them or, ner- or nerf them both equally you might actually see an an inconsequential buff to one or the other if if they uh, the, the biggest opponent of the other gets removed so um it'll be interesting i mean some other cards that um are going to get are getting it nerfed it looks like they're going to nerf sands of time uh promising mm-hmm. future so we're we're very clearly seeing that they understand that thralls is very good sure and they yeah. are trying to take that's care the other of that. deck that's kind of come back with a vengeance, right? Obviously, mm-hmm. that that deck has come back in a really, uh, in a, a pretty oppressive way. I would say the the thralls yeah. deck. I played against that a handful of times, and really only like just got into it. So only just got into the ladder. Uh, so you know, I look at this and I say, okay. So I see, out of the stuff that's nerfed, disintegrate makes sense. Um, the Pharos financer. Um, I can't even remember. I, I can't even remember exactly what deck that's hitting, but I've seen that played a whole bunch of times. Yeah, I mean um, anything that I mean it runs in a lot of Jace decks just because it gives you a six cost spell on for two or at at two, at two mana, so you can kind of plan your mid to late game turns. Um, so it runs a lot of just spell heavy decks. I've seen a Heimer 
Jace deck. Um, I've seen Jace Lux actually run this. Um, there's sure. there's a lot there's a lot of decks that run it. it just it, anything it, that it, needs it, a spells. Sure, it's just a good card, so it makes sense, right? Um, I don't actually like the nerf to it, to be honest with you, because uh, I I do like it, so I, I don't want to see that. But um, cleaning lantern, okay, I get it. Legion deserter, we made a mistake. Uh, Broadwing, I don't like that. I think I think Broadwing's the same. I'm fine with quicksand, uh, sands of time, and, and promising future getting cut up. It doesn't bother me. Uh, Zenith Blade kind of disappoints me. I, I would say does. they're preparing something in the future because I think Zenith Blade is a really good card. Um, I do like I do like Zenith Zenith Blade, however you pronounce it, and I think that yeah, I think it's probably the most surprising nerf. I am a little surprised that you don't think Petrocyte Broadwing should be nerfed. Uh, I like Petrocyte Broadwing. Here's the thing: like, if Demacia does not have a good one and two drop, it's a you can't even play the faction, like. <laughs> Like, that's how shoehorned it is into these board-centric, can't-catch-up-can't-flip-the-board models. Mm -hmm. uh, like, it has one flip-the-board tool in existence that's judgment, and it's trash. So, I, I might be overgeneralizing there a little bit, but it, there might be some stuff I'm not thinking of. But, it, I mean, if you think about it, like, even when Broadwing wasn't nerfed, Galio still wasn't great. Like, right. <laughs> and so, uh, I don't mind... I, I just... I I struggle seeing like what I deem to be staple tools for a faction get gutted. And I think that Broadwing is a good example of a solid staple two drop that Demacia needs to be even a viable faction in the game. And I and I don't maybe maybe it's just a matter of logic in this game versus maybe other games we've played. I think staple cards are almost frowned upon, right? Like if if a if a card becomes a staple, it's almost inhibiting creativity in yeah, the faction as a whole. There's some truth to that, but like the, whether the, it's right the, or not, the staple cards for me, right? Like creativity is found best with inside of limitation, right? Like uh, if you ask somebody to create something, um, and you you give them like a painting, make a painting, and you just give them a blank canvas and you give them no expectations for it. Like the lack of limitations inhibits creativity. But if you say, I want you to paint me a landscape and I want you to do it inside of your interpretation of the future. Well, then that person can really get into it and they can still be incredibly creative. And I feel that way with staple cards, right? Staple cards are my limitations on a faction that say from this base, you now have room to get creative inside of the space. Um, and I feel like, you know, Hearthstone did that really well with things like Frostbolt, Fireball, and mm. yeah, sometimes classes kind of got shoehorned into stuff in different seasons, but it allowed them to then print powerful cards that made you challenge, is this the time to break out of the norm and get out of sort of the staple cards? Or how can I, how can I pull the staple cards into this otherwise established strategy? I think it gave room for creativity, or at least it enabled it a little bit more. Maybe room for it's the wrong. That's just my personal opinion, and I, I'm, I'm open to being wrong about that, but I just, I, th that's one of the cards that I looked at, that and Zenith Blade, that I was like, and honestly, the Financer as well. I actually really like Financer as a card, um, and I love, I hate to see anything that is like the Discover ability, which is Hearthstone as well. What's, what's it called in this game? Um, 
the, the invoke ability, what are they? Right, yeah, it? invoke. No, no, it's when you get three cards and you get to choose one. They don't call it invoke because oh, invoke predict? is only celestial cards. Predict? No, predict to put something in your deck. It's what it's what Pharaoh's a free a financer does. He he gives you three cards to look at, and then you you can choose one of them. And it's a new keyword, isn't it? Maybe I'm wrong about that. Um, I'll 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 look it up really quick. But yeah, so I I don't know. Those are ones that I'm kind of like I don't really want to see those. Which about manifest? Manif is is it manifest? Yes, manifest is the keyword. Can we talk about the nerfs a little bit? Do you have any thought or a buffs a little bit? Do you have any thoughts on the buffs? Yeah, like, I was is there anything say, that you're excited about or nervous for? Yeah, I was gonna say let's each pick two cards that we're excited about. Um, like two cards we're excited about and one we're we're nervous about. I'll kind of just run through all three of mine. I am really, really excited to see a buff to Callista. Mm. Callista is my second, as I mentioned earlier, my second favorite champion, probably behind Swain. I have a lot of Callista decks. I love the the Shadow Wiles faction as a whole and playing like kill card, like self-kill cards in order to gain value and getting value out of that and how that can translate into tempo. I also, I think I, I tend to like being a combo mid-rangey player and Callista is definitely that for like the Shadow Wiles faction. I'm really excited that they're going to buff Callista. I just hope that it's meaningful. I think it's been a long time coming and needed. So I'm really excited for that. I think maybe... I'm going to kind of cheat a little bit and not say one specific card, but I see several cards in here, like Lava Lizard, Chief Nakatak, um, that are, mm. are, get, are getting buffed, that synergize with Merc Wolf Shaman, that synergize with Nars Package. I really like the, um, the Transform, like Evolve card style that NAR yeah, has. Yeah, I do too. I think that's I, the best thing that uh, Bandal City gave to us. Right, and it's it's so fun. It's so interesting. You have to play in a specific way and be intentional with when you use certain value cards you've got to ping a face to to enact uh, a transform or to uh, to use that. That I mean, you're like, okay, well, I won't I won't transform my minion here, but I'm going to kill something important on the other side of the board that will also help me net me value into getting into my late game or my mid game, where some of my really good transform cards will win me the game. I really mm -hmm. love NAR's package. I actually think the nerfs to NAR, I think the reason it's not played right now is I don't, it's just a lot of the supporting cards aren't good enough in the early game, early to mid game to justify NAR, but I think NAR's in a great place. He was way too powerful before. They toned him back, and I actually really like where he is. I still play NAR. I've got an interesting um, NAR and Ziggs deck that I play that also runs Give It All at the top to make once NAR is transformed or I've got like a minute, like a minute uh, mega T down or whatever it is to play, mm -hmm. play, give it all and make all of my units really high stats and give them all the keywords. I, I think that NAR's package is really fun. Chief knock attack might be the weakest of the supporting cards. So to I see that so, he's yeah. going to get a buff, I would love to be able to see that. Um, Cause he's interesting. He's just not good. Exactly, like the 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 heal your transformed union when it transforms, mm -hmm. and, and Nard goes back and forth, transforming and going back, and transforming and going back, and giving it plus one plus one. I think is really really cool, and can be an engine if it's a good enough card. It's just not right now. The card that mm -hmm. worries me, and I have a feeling it's probably going to be yours as well, is I see that they are buffing Aurelia, and that scares me. Yup. It yep, don't, I, yep. I don't. I won't choose it because you chose it. But yeah, I don't know what they're gonna buff Aurelia with. 
I still see a zero Aurelia every now and then, and it's it's still okay. I see Aurelia misfortune right now, um, every now and then, and I think it's still like a you can win games with it still if you if you hit your stuff, especially with some of the recent buffs to to they they added a couple extra tools for for Blade Dance. I just don't understand what the the fixation is that the um that the the developers have where where blade dance has to be a a good thing at any point in time and i yeah. I, I just i'm worried so the only way that i'm okay with aurelia getting touched is if they completely rework her I actually like Aurelia as a champion, and I actually like Aurelia as a concept. I hate Blade Dance. Now, there is almost a 0% chance that they are taking the Blade Dance synergies away from Aurelia because she is the Blade Dance champion. So she's almost certainly just getting a straight buff. But, and and that's what I hate the most out of everything here. And and I don't know. I saw Jeth post uh, over in Discord you know, they like the play patterns of Azir Aurelia. I don't know who said that or when it was quoted or when it was said most frequently, but evidently that was one of the comments about it was they like the play patterns of Azir Aurelia. That was um, the patch I mean, after Azir Aurelia okay, was like okay, the number right. one deck by far. And then they came up there. They knew we knew a patch was coming and we were like, oh, they're going to gut it because it's a problem. And then they didn't. And they were like, yeah, yeah. We, we decided not to change it really. We gave like one of the supporting cards like one less attack, but we didn't change it really because we like the play pattern and we disagree with the entire player base that it's a problem. So we're not going to change it. And then it continued to dominate for the next five months. And they were like, maybe we were wrong. Yeah. So my worry is, is that they want to, they want to resurrect that play style in any way, shape or form. And if that happens, I'll be honest with you. I don't know that I'll be able to play the game. That that almost completely that deck nearly completely killed. I almost deleted the game. Like you I and twenty percent of the fan and base. The game. Yeah, you and twenty percent of the very base. very close. It was that six. Like I will be in path of champions. Very challenging. Like if I boot up the game, I will be in path of champions. I will never play against another player if the zero really becomes a thing. Especially when you take away my draft format, give no information about bringing my draft back. And then bring this back? Yeah, I don't think so. So yeah, I'll my, be hard pressed uh, the same way. Yeah. So my my exciting pieces are um, are Hecarim. Um, I I've been a Hecarim fanboy since closed beta. I played Hecarim Zed in closed beta. Freaking mm -hmm. loved the deck. So cool. Um, I loved Hecarim when we had sort of like the mid range Hecarim deck that was like running Hecarim on five or six into uh what the the other like it's, it's so hard to remember even what their mana cost was because at this point it was literally so long ago uh, i have to quickly pull up and see if i can remember like what these what these big drops were um but i think it i think was hecarim five no hecarim was always six hecarim was six and then no no hecarim was five rekindler was six rasha the sunderer was seven that's really early and then, none of those and then, are still a thing. Yeah, and Commander Ladros was eight. Um, and that is when I liked it the most because you Hecarimed and then you resurrected your Hecarim with Rekindler and then you attacked with your Hecarim and slaughtered their board with Rasha 
And if that didn't work out, you re- you dress them in the face. And obviously, not all of those cards are coming back, but those were my favorite days of, of Hecarim and Shadow Isles. And I know that it was overpowered, but I really enjoyed it. And that was that was before, that got nerfed before it formally came out. That was an open beta when it got nerfed. So that was like the big string of patches before it came out on mobile. Um, it, it, got, it got hit. And Hecarim went up to six and like, He's been really bad a lot. Um, so I'm really excited for Hecarim. Would love to see him be good. I think he's a fun card. Like, oh, because yeah. there's not a lot in Shadow Isles that plays like him. That's like a board swarmy, ephemeral, you know, conjuring. It's sort of like, no, I'm just going to overwhelm you with stats. Um, Callista Pseudo does that, but only if you can get her leveled up, right? Hecarim does that when he lands. I think if Hecarim becomes good again, well, one, a little bit ago, they buffed the the one drop, the Shadow Apprentice. They changed some of his text to the the one one elusive where you yeah. enter you summon ephemeral, he gets plus one attack. They they buffed that. I would consider it a buff the way that they changed it. I mean, they we got another two two cost ephemeral tool in the stage hand, the two cost four four ephemeral that stuns an enemy. Like that's yeah. a good ephemeral tool. And I think if Hecarim becomes better and they're buffing the uh the the blighted caretaker in some capacity, which will be cool because it creates those two ephemerals. Yeah. Blighted Caretaker, I'd like to see go back to what it was. It needs to be a 2-1 again. Yeah. Um, if, if Blighted um, Caretaker was a really good card for the game, too. If they um, if they buff Hecarim to be in a good spot, you know what I think we'll finally see some play? The Noxian, or not sorry, the Noxian, the Shadow Isles Tellstones. Because oh. you can, because you can yeah. play the, the Tellstone to get a Mark of the Isles and mm-hmm. give something... Doesn't doesn't that give it um doesn't that give it plus give two it plus two and ephemeral yeah so like that will give some some synergy there where you'll be able to actually play well it also can give you a crumble which is getting buffed as well so right so I think the the, the shadow isles telstones will actually be like in a good spot to be played we'll see some we'll see some play so the second one I'm excited for and there's actually sh- several like uh you know uh, uh worth mentioning um. Aftershock, Avaros and Hearthguard, Crumble, um, Camivorian Dragon, like, um, excited for those. Uh, even Babbling Berg to a certain extent. Like, I, I've always loved him because he's a tutor. Um, but Riptide Rex has to be my number two. Um, and only because, like, you know, I know that at various times, obviously, like, Pirate Aggro has been good. But there was a time where, you know, it, it wasn't. Like, Bilgewater played mid-rangey. And it played mid-rangey because it could end games with Riptide Rex. And it can't anymore. So I, you know, there's just so many bad, expensive creatures in this game. And so I would love to see Riptide Rex comes back. Because it was like one of those expensive, like even even like the Nagakakaboros, uh, whatever. The, the, gi- giant, giant tentacle girl, giant tentacle monster, like. That card sucks. Like it sucks so bad. And uh, and Riptide, like I just want Riptide back. Like sunk cost? Are you freaking kidding me? Sunk cost like, is horrible. I laugh like, at that card every time I see it. Like it's like one of the. It's so 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 bad. Like there's so many cards that are are bad at it six and up. And so would love to see Riptide come back. Um, would just love to see him come back. I think I think it would be good for him. So. Um, okay, and I really is the one I'm most concerned for, but my second is is definitely uh, Windfair Hatchling. Um, oh, but I love my elusive. I don't even think it's a dragon, but that I I do love that playing that as like top end. Creature. 
Yeah, I like playing that as top end in uh, my support my support heavy decks. That's like Lulu and like Zed or sure, that's like, where he's going to get abused. Like now. Lulu and Tarek, but, but exactly, it's it's not going to be where it gets played. Yeah, I don't I don't mind it in certain contexts as a finisher necessarily. What I don't like it in is where it inevitably always gets played at, which is to break elusives. And for whatever reason, the developers of this game have decided over and over again that it's okay to break Ezreal, to break Azir Aurelia, to break well, Azir period, and and to break elusives, like over and over and over again. Like no matter what, it's like every other patch, we have to break either Ezreal, right? Like, okay, we were fine. Ezreal Kennen comes into the play. Okay, we're going to get rid of Ezreal Kennen. Things are fine. Well, screw you guys. Let's put Azir in and let's buff him and make Mono Sharima. And then it's like, oh, okay, well, we got we got Nar. Like we kind of we had that Nar season that was really good. And then, you know, and then it's like, well, I, I thought this season was gonna be the screw you guys, we're giving you Bard with elusives, and like you're gonna get the elusive problem, but we didn't. We got the Ezreal problem again with Ezreal Annie, right? Okay, cycle back to Ezreal Annie. And then, you know, now it looks like, okay, guess what? You're gonna get a bunch of stuff, but we're gonna bring Aurelia back. And so, and we're going to bring elusives back with Windfair Hatchling. And it's like, I just don't get it. Like, I don't, like, the, the community's been very vocal about not liking these play styles, not wanting to play against these things, these things ruining the game, these things driving them from the game. And then you just consistently resurrect them when no one wants them resurrected. So I just don't understand it. Like, that's the part that's confusing to me. It's like, why are you continually resurrecting archetypes and decks that no one misses and no one wants to come back, yet you refuse to buff or bring about decks that people have wanted to have existed and have never been good enough to do so. Like, I can't imagine a world where Irelia gets on the let's buff it category and Katarina does not. Yeah. it, it, it To me, I think they look at play rates and play style play rates and they equate play rate to strength or play rate to usefulness within the the deck composition of 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 all of the cards and if it's not if it's not being played a lot right now that must be because it's way too weak and let's buff very particular cards about it i don't really know have i don't have it i don't i'm struggling to find a justification for Aurelia, and i'm going to hold my breath on winfair hatching until i see what they do with it because it could be a very like sure. small buff that's like inconsequentially something that doesn't like break the meta, but that card well, is what, definitely. What does Windfair Hatchling cost? Is it seven? It's seven. Or is it? It's seven. Okay, but but here's my point. Okay, I I I agree with you. I agree with you. They probably look at play rates, but you cannot tell me that if you're looking at play rates and you're saying Windfair Hatchling is really down, that you're also saying the other you know another seven cost. Like the uh, like Raz Bloodmane is really up. Like, oh, we got to get Windfair Hatchling played as much as Raz Bloodmane is played, or Windfair Hatchling as much as the Ether Fiend is played, or even you know uh, raise even the hat you know the Hatchling you know as much as Yone is played. Like Yone, like okay, I get it. Like you want to buff a seven cost that doesn't see a lot of play. Well, guess how many seven costs haven't seen a lot of play? Virtually every single one of them. Almost none of them have seen a lot of plays. So don't bring back the one problematic one that broke the game in the past that you had to nerf. Like, I don't know. I'm going to get animated about it. It just doesn't make <laughs> any Okay. Like, so, you know, there are a couple of 
of, of like playable seven drops, right? Eclipse Dragon, uh, Invasive Hydrovine are, are ones that are kind of like, okay, those are two seven drop creatures that are playable. Like they're good, they're playable. Rekindler. Rekindler. Okay, yeah, Rekindler totally fits. I don't even think of Rekindler like that because I don't even think of Rekindler as a seven drop. I think of him as a seven cost spell that re- resummons your champion. It gives you an inconsequential is... four four. Yeah, yeah, the the body I could really care less about. So you know, I just look through like if you're saying we want to bring back seven costs that that aren't being played, and we want to we want to. It's like like there's even a seven cost Ionia card, the Sacred Protector, like. Bring back the, like, make the Shen boat better. You're already buffing Shen. Like, make my Shen boat better. So, yeah, I I get a little frustrated with the pick of cards. It's not even so much what they might do with it. It's that, why is that the card that got their intention when Mini-T didn't? When Mini-T is just a better card to buff. Or Raz Bloodmane. Like, why is this the card that got your time and attention? Over Or buff Icy Yeti. Bring back Yetis, yeah. even though even though I've got a still still a uh, I've still got nightmares from what the shape did to me. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course, of course, uh, yeah. So I don't know. It's it's a little frustrating with me to see a couple of the buffs on there. Overall, the list isn't awful, right? List isn't no. awful. No, I I think there I think there are going to be some very cool play patterns and and deck types that get. Don't get I always a say there's poop in the pudding. There's always poop in the pudding. Just a little bit. There's just a little bit. Like enough where you could probably scoop it out. We uh, Okay, but if Aziraelia comes back in force, you can't scoop that out. No, I'll do, you, we, you just, you just we'll just acknowledge that. Yeah. yeah, you just throw the pudding away. It's, at that You've point, it's on, your, it's on your spoon, and you can't. And the spoon's tainted. Yeah, I agree. Well, so, I don't know. What else do we have to talk about? Because I, I, I think we've covered a lot of the stuff, but there's, is there anything else we, we missed? Not unless you wanted to, to, to go on a little bit of tangent about how much you love cosmetics. Oh, you know what? The thing that we didn't talk about was the post that came out that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet. Oh, right, 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 right. On the, the refocus on PvP. Uh, I don't need to go on a rant about cosmetics. I, I think I, I re-looked at them, and I was kind of like, you know what? Actually, a lot of the event cosmetics do look cool. I was disappointed that there was not an Ezreal skin at the end of this event pass back month a month ago when we recorded last. I remain disappointed with that. That's the only thing I'll say. I like the uh, Akshan one. The rest of them, I'm still like, eh, they're cool. They're just on champions that I won't play. So, you know, overall, Pulse Fire, cool. Um, wish that I had Pulse Fire Ezreal. Still think that was a bit of a miss. Yeah. Uh, overall. But yeah, t- tell me your thoughts on this because I think we have slightly differing thoughts on on the announcement about the refocus on PvP. Yeah, and, and and maybe I'm not reading as much into it, uh, or maybe I don't have as much insight into into this decision. But uh, basically, Runeterra producers have come out and said we're gonna we're gonna kind of halt a little bit or pivot away from some of the the path of champions focus that we we've, we've kind of committed to over the past six months or so with the the bigger game mode. And the expanded champion list and paths and storylines and all of that. And they're going to put more of their eggs back in the PvP basket and refocus up on that. Um, and that they're going to focus on trying to make PvP uh, a better experience and more frequent balance changes and bigger balance changes. 
um, and and make PvP a little bit more of of their their line of sight than maybe it has previously previously been because Path of Champions has been apparently so popular. So mm-hmm. I, I I have not read a whole lot into why that is, but we were discussing a little bit before the show, and I think you've got some valid points, uh, Mark, about uh, why they might be doing that. So why why do you think? that they're making that change or what are you reading into the after effects of them refocusing on PVP? Yeah. So this isn't my stuff, first of all. So I don't know if you guys have watched, I don't know his real name actually, but S N N U Y Sonny, um, who is an LOR streamer. Oh, Snooey. Snooey. Snooey has a son. Yeah. So um, he's from, he's from the Netherlands. Yeah. So I actually love his stream to be honest with you. He's awesome. Um, Yeah. So he put out a video that basically responded to that, and it was like, this is the first time, he basically said, this is the first time I've been genuinely scared for the life of LOR, and I think this might be the beginning of the end. And it really wasn't a doomsday thing, it was just basically saying, I think what we've received here is not a positive thing, but a a positive spin on a negative thing. (laughs) Um, Because basically what he's saying is, when they come and they say our most popular form of content is path of champions. And we've decided to move those developers off of path of champions to other games that need focus on PVE content. And we're going to be refocusing on PVP. What they have not said yet was that we are going to move developers that focus on PVP from other things into LOR or that we are going to hire new developers to focus on PvP and bring them in to LOR. So what really is happening, theoretically, what he said anyway, is that LOR is just net losing developers. And we're spinning, we're we're spinning the, hey, LOR is not really playing out the way that we see it when we wanted it to. It's kind of dying. We're not really sure what to do with it. We have a lot of content coming out for it, but we're not going to be developing a lot of new stuff for it. Um, So we're going to move and salvage our developers that have done such a good job on the PVE content onto other games where they can come up with ideas for PVE. And we're going to kind of work this game down to a lower budget by moving developers off the payroll there and into other places, which in games like Teamfight Tactics that is doing phenomenally well financially, supposedly, and their player base has only grown, whereas LORs has only shrunk. So basically, the comment is, mm, this isn't a good thing. This is a marketing spin on a bad thing. Um, and I, at first, was like, thank goodness. Like, come on. Give me my focus on PvP. But that was before I read the whole thing and realized what they really did was move all of the PvE developers to something, a, a different project. We know that Riot's working on an MMO. Um, it seems as though Riot is working and putting more focus in TFT. So I sort of have my foot in both worlds. And the TFT team has grown. Mortdog is the lead developer over there. He streams a good bit. He would remind you a lot of sort of like a more metal version of Ben Brode. Um, and so like <laughs> yeah, he's a Ben Brode really, wasn't very metal. No, no. Um, but he's like metal Ben Brode. He's a really great face for TFT. Like a really phenomenal face for TFT. Um, it's kind of rude, but he's, he's very interactive with the community. You know, he streams to five, six K. So all, all I'm saying all of these things to say, we, we've never really had a good face for LOR. And I, I think that's part of the problem. And it looks like we're not going to get one either. And I, I think that's going to continue to consistently be an issue for the game. Um, Sunni kind of said like, well, I, I think this means that we have another, we may have another year of content that's in development. And then 
we may be looking at the eventual downturn or maintenance mode of the game. I am not going that far. I'm not going that far. Um, but it is interesting to me that you wouldn't say you're moving new developers on and you would move the developers off that have created the mode that's been above and beyond the most successful. That's at least the claim that you've made every time you've every time you've put more effort in Path of Champions and people have been like, but what about PvP? Your claim has been, oh, well. But Path of Champions. But Path of Champions has been really popular, so we need to continue to do Path of Champions. Yeah, so either, so, either there yeah. was dishonesty in that statement or there's a level of dishonesty or gamesmanship here where they're not really yeah. giving you the full truth about what's going on. Which they never will, appear. right? Like, I've gone through the death. I went through the death of Tessel, and and I think I it was interesting because I was actually talking to DBN about this this weekend, and he says Riot because he works in marketing, and he said Riot won't let their game fail. He said they'll put you on a shoestring budget to keep it alive because it costs them less to keep the game alive than it does for them to make an announcement that they've failed, <laughs> like. Because Riot has never failed, right? Or, I mean, I'm sure not big way publicly, like, shut down a game failed. And so it actually is more beneficial for them to pour thousands of dollars and lose hundreds of thousands of dollars on the game and not make an announcement about failure than it does for them to come out and say, hey, we're closing down the game or putting it in maintenance mode or we're going to be shutting down the servers for it. Um, in, in reallocating those servers to an MMO or or to another project. Um, so, and I think that he's right about that. That makes me think that we might keep the game f for the in-depth, you know, the for the future, but it, it might not get much better. Or we yeah, might see a downturn possible. in content. Yeah, I mean, they'll have to do something pretty, pretty impressive or pretty drastic, I think, to gain a lot of player base back or to, to kind of see a resurgence, but... I will. We'll see what they do. We'll see if the if PvP PvP becomes so good that it it creates a uh, a resurgence in, in in player base or the experience just becomes so good that maybe we see uh, a revitalized competitive scene come back. Because I don't think I think that has taken a uh, taken a turn for 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 the worst of of there hasn't been a whole lot of focus on the the competitive scene. And I'm not a top player, so like I'm, I'm speaking in generalities here, but. Um, when you can challenge a random streamer, granted a good player, but when you can challenge a random streamer, hey, you should hit rank one with this somewhat not very experimented deck because there have been yeah, several of those challenges it. put out, and then he and then he goes and does it. That just tells me that there's not that much, there's not that much uh, like I don't know, it's not that many players at the top that like they like there used to be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like, I don't. I don't think there's nearly the competition at the top of ladder today that there was, you know, a year ago. Um, certainly not two years ago. Um, there's not the excitement around the game that there was a year ago or two years ago. Um, you get these like moments of hype, but even in Hearthstone, like you would have these moments of, and and it's hard to compare it to Hearthstone, right? Because it was first, but you would have these moments of hype, and then that that hype would die off three months later and it's like in in lor you get these moments of hype sometimes those moments of hype are dead within five days <laughs> and it's like everyone's moved back to whatever they were playing yeah it and feels like the exploration what? has happened and then everyone's just like eh, okay cool 
can I be honest with you? Part of me wonders if it's a scheduling thing because there's it's very frequent that LOL, TFT, and LOR all release big patches all in the same week or on the same day. So like, it, or within a week of each other. Like, so it makes me wonder like if there's people who are dedicated, a lot of people who are dedicated to LOR are dedicated to the Riot universe. And if, if you release this and a week later you release your biggest TFT patch that you've done in six months, do you just cannibalize your own player base? And if after that you release a huge new season with a bunch of LOL stuff and new skins, and do you cannibalize your, your player base again? Are you just trading people back and forth in all of your established games? Maybe. I mean, so but, but putting out a bunch of stuff all at the same time doesn't necessarily hurt your player base. It just They just will pop into a certain game at a different time. Yeah, and I agree, but if, like, let, what I'm saying is, like, if if World Waker or whatever came out and TFT's new season had started five weeks later instead of either on the same day or the next week, I think it was the same day that the PBE came out and then, like, the next week or whatever the game, the, the new season came out. I would have played LO, I would have played LOR longer, but I played LOR and then I was like, oh, I'm going to go check out this new TFT thing. And then I, I was on to TFT for a month. So just spacing it out where you give your player base ample time to explore the the new content and then and play it up a little bit. And then you're not necessarily hurting any of your products. You're just, um, you're, yeah. you're maintaining the hype. There's always a consistent level of new. Yeah, that way you don't kill the hype in a week for a game because you're also then trying to hype your same exact player base up for another game that you also develop that have the exact same characters in it. Yeah. I, I could see Even that. Even if they're done, different. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting. It's all interesting stuff. I, is that it? Is Have we talked about everything now? I don't, it's I been a good conversation. I think we've gotten everything. I know that you can't wait to play with uh, Lady of Blood. That's the card Lady you're most of, excited for. Lady, Lady I actually had to look. Blood. I actually had to look up what that card was. I am excited. To, I'm hoping. I'm hoping Lava Lizard's good. Lady of Blood was like she's like a two four, right? Yeah, she's so. a, every time you play, like a like a non fleeting, a copy yeah. of something. You get a fleeting copy in hand. Yeah, very. It's a confusing card. I always thought that she, but she has a really cool artwork. So. I, I, because she's like a oh, cool like Noxian woman in the winter anyway this is a distraction for what we're supposed to be talking about that's going to do it for this episode guys thank you so much for tuning in and being part of it um, join us on discord uh, we have a link for that in the description of this episode um, find us on patreon there's a link to that in the description of this episode as well we'd love to connect with you over there consider supporting the show and um, you know as as uh, the, the game has died down so has some of our support and we would love to continue making what we're making um and so the best way to do that is if, if you want to want us to do that is, is to support us over there you know a, a buck a month make, goes a long way like a little at a time does go a long way um if you like this episode then you would probably also like season one of almost legends which is a DD play podcast that me uh gibby and dead broke nerd our other co-hosts do together and we just finished the six episodes of season one and the recap of season one, the appendix of season one, the appendix. Uh, let's say, uh, the appendix is going to be releasing at the same time as, as this episode. So you can now go and binge through it. And that, uh, that show 
uh, season one is played during the events of Arcanes. We're actually playing in Runeterra, and we're uh, Gibby and Deviant are playing characters on The Dungeon Master. It's a really great show. Would love for you to go check it out. That's Almost Legends. I'll throw a link for that here as well. And if you like that and you like MOBAs, then you also likely have played or at least tried Pokemon Unite. It might be time to revitalize the love for the game that you had before you hated Zapdos and Solo Queue. And, uh, and you might revitalize some of that love by listening to our third show, Aos Airwaves, um, which we can throw a link for in the description of this episode as well. That's a show that DBN and Gibby do together where they talk about meta and off-meta and fun stuff and drafting teams for Pokemon Unite, which I, I played with them this weekend. We had a really great time doing that. Uh, I love Firefox Witch. You found a new main. So, yeah, Firefox yeah, new main. Witch. Firefox Witch, my new main. Um, so check that out. And uh, yeah, AOS Airwaves, Almost Legends, and come back for Legends Cast. Uh, Gibby and I will, will record another episode sometime next month and talk a little bit about what this patch has actually done to the game. And hopefully at that point, we'll also be talking about maybe new content or new announcements that are going to be coming on uh, in the future as well. Thank you guys so much for listening. We appreciate you always. And uh, have a great day and be sure to come back again next week. Thanks for listening to Legends Cast. This episode was brought to you by listeners like you. Don't forget to join our Discord community and support us by leaving us a rating and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. A special thanks goes out to all of our Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash legendscast.